X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Hey there, Zala gang. Welcome to the first installment of a new weekly feature here at the Cerebro Patreon. Every week, I will be reading an issue of the 1975 to 1991 Chris Claremont run on X-Men. Eventually, we'll incorporate Louise Simonson and Nicenti, etc., but it's just Chris for a long time. I am calling this the Cerebro Claremont Marathon. I've been trying to think of fun content I can do weekly and consistently to make sure you're all getting your money's worth. A lot of people enjoy when I do story time on the podcast, so this felt like a good option. If you have friends who haven't jumped on the Patreon yet, now is a great time for them to do so. And yes, I will do voices my plan is to put up one issue every week here on the Patreon until we get all the way up to the end of Claremont's time in the franchise the first time around. That's ambitious, obviously, but since it's just me, it's going to be easier to edit, and these episodes probably won't be as long as the regular podcast. So I'm looking forward to doing this. I think it's going to be fun. I'm actually excited to revisit the material with all of you. And I hope that you will enjoy it. Today, we begin with 1975's Giant Size X-Men number one. Technically, this is not a Claremont story. He takes over scripting the following issue. But this begins the 16-year run that he would make so successful and famous. This issue was written by Len Wein, drawn by Dave Cockrum, colored by Glynis Wein, nay Oliver, who at the time was married to Len Wein, and lettered by John Costanza. As always, thank you for your support, both emotional and financial. It means the world to me. It has changed my life, and I hope you'll stick around. If you want to pull up the issue on Marvel Unlimited or in a physical copy or wherever you might have it, Comixology, whatever, and read along, that might be fun. Without further ado, I'm going to take us away. We open with a splash page. The original X-Men are kind of looming in the back while the new characters are rushing toward the reader. It says, Stan Lee presents the uncanny X-Men. From the ashes of the past, there grow the fires of the future. The grandeur and the glory begin anew with Second Genesis. And that is why this team is often called the Second Genesis team. They're sometimes called the all-new X-Men. On the cover, notably, it says New Deadly Genesis. So when Deadly Genesis came out, they used that title, but in the interior, it's called Second Genesis. So what are you going to do? We open in Finseldorf, Germany, nestled deep in the Bavarian Alps. This tiny village has hardly changed over the centuries. In Finseldorf, life is gentle, peaceful, for nothing ever happens here to disturb the domestic tranquility. There are some men running with torches, this way, men! The monster went this way! And we cut to Nightcrawler, who is scampering through an alleyway. Monster, is it? The fools! It is they who are the monsters with their mindless prejudices. Perhaps things would be simpler, safer, if I had stayed with the Yarmarkt. But the life of a carnival freak is not for me, not for Kurt Wagner. Let them come if they must. Let them try to kill me. At least if I die, it will be as a man! And he leaps up onto the rooftop. Ironically, the astonishing leap alone lends doubt to Kurt Wagner's humanity. We've got him now. Come down, monster. Come down or we'll burn you down. And his hideous howling, like that of a baying beast, denies it completely. 
Go away, you fools! I have done nothing! But the only response the cornered misfit receives is one he had hardly expected. They're utterly mad! Their threat was serious! They'll destroy their entire village to make certain that they destroy me! And for what reason? I came among them only to learn! Yet all I've learned thus far the ways of blind, unreasoning violence! Well, if that is all that those who dwell in the normal world have to teach me, I will show them that I learn my lessons well! And he leaps into the crowd. Very well indeed! Howling wildly, Kurt Wagner plunges through the thick of the mob until the sheer weight of its numbers carries him down. We have him! Quickly bring the stake! These guys suck. This village really sucks. Now, monster, we will be rid of you! Now we will stop! It's a psychic message. And remarkably, they do. Fuss? They're not moving. What has happened to them? I happened to them, Kurt Wagner. You did this to them? But how? Why? My name is Charles Xavier. I heard you say you'd come here to learn, my friend. I am a teacher. I run a school for gifted youngsters such as you. A school for mutants. Mutant? Yes, I have heard the word. You are a mutant, Kurt. I can help you find your true potential. Can you help me to be normal? After tonight's misfortune, Kurt, would you truly want to be? All of the townsfolk are just standing and staring. Perhaps not. I want only to be a whole, Kurt Wagner. If you can make me that teacher, I will go with you. Quebec, Canada. Few people know of this secluded military installation. Fewer still know of its true purpose. It is the home base of a very special governmental agency, and its very special agent. The agent cipher-coded Weapon X. They're waiting for you in the conference room, sir. Let him wait. It's good for the soul. But better known to us as the Wolverine. All right, gents, I'm here. Now who's this bigwig you want me to meet? I am the bigwig, Wolverine. Professor Charles Xavier at your service. Am I supposed to be impressed? Apparently the top brass is impressed, Wolverine. All that I know is that the professor is here to make you some sort of offer. An offer, eh? Okay, prof, you've piqued my curiosity. What's the deal? I'll come straight to the point, then. I know of your recent battle with the Hulk in Hulk 181. And moreover, I know of your powers. You, my friend, are a mutant, and I have need of mutants. Desperate need. But what about my position here? I'm offering you a chance to become a free agent, a chance to learn to put your powers to their greatest use. A chance to get out from under the red tape and rigmarole, eh? All right, Professor, you found your man. And the Department H guy goes, What? Not so fast, fella. The government has invested a great deal of time and money into turning you into what you are now. You try walking out on us, and I'll have you locked up. Uh Uh-huh. Seems you didn't get my meaning, friend. This is still a free country, isn't it? Snicked. So I'm resigning my commission. He cuts the guy's tie in half. Effective immediately. Unless, of course, you have any further objections. I didn't think so. Believe me, mister, you haven't heard the last of this. Anytime you want me, you know where to come looking. Come on, prof, let's go. We cut to Nashville, Tennessee. A visitor to the Grand Old Opry finds he has a visitor of his own. Begora! Tease Professor X himself now. Banshee, I must talk with you. Shortly in the Banshee's shabby quarters. So that's the story, is it? Then sure, and I'll help you, Professor. It'll be nice to trade the straight and narrow for a change. Kenya, East Africa. Atop a lonely knoll, there stands a great stone portal. Men come to it in humility, their voices raised in praise and song and prayerful supplication. Aurora, great goddess of the storm, the voices cry. Come unto us and ease our burden. And with the hollow peal of thunder and the moan of lonely winds, the storm goddess comes. 
I am here, my children. What do you wish of me? There is drought upon the land, blessed one. Our crops wither, our grasses parched. Ten goats and chickens shall we slay in your honor if you will only bring us rain. Her eyes are crystal blue and older than time. They sparkle as she answers. Save your beasts, my children. You need them more than I. I will do as you plead. Her liquid eyes grow dark then, and the sky grows dark as well. This is an iconic panel of storm riding the wind. She's topless in a cool skirt. She has her little headdress on, though. She brings that with her from Kenya. It's not part of the costume. I guess they designed the costume to match the headdress. Once more, the howling winds come up and sweep the storm goddess away. She soars aloft like an ebon bird, lightning lancing from her fingertips, the glow of life shining full upon her face. She is happy here, only truly happy here among the elements. And the raging sky, touched by her happiness, weeps. A monsoon erupts. It's raining and raining and raining. When the storm goddess returns to earth at last, her joy is shared by all. A most impressive display, Aurora. Truly beautiful. Who, who are you? What business have you in Aurora's land? I am called Xavier, and I have come to make you an offer I pray you will not refuse. An offer? What have you to offer a goddess? You have a land, Aurora, and people who adore you. I offer you a world, and people who may fear you hate you, but people who need you nonetheless. The world I offer is not beautiful, but it is real. Far more real than the fantasy you're living now. You are no goddess, Aurora. You are a mutant, and you have responsibilities. Come with me, child. Taste the world outside. You may find its flavor bitter or surprisingly sweet. You present a most peculiar argument, yet I sense a deep sincerity in your words. All right, I will come with you. Perhaps the time has come for me to leave the nest at last. Osaka, Japan. Two old acquaintances share tea in the splendid garden of Shiro Yoshida. I know your feelings toward the Western world, Shiro, and I would not have come to you, but you require help that only I may give. So, I owe you nothing, Professor, but perhaps I owe something to myself. He's in a cute robe, but now he suddenly is in his Sunfire costume. Perhaps it is time once more for the world to hear from Sunfire. Like Baikal, Siberia, it has been a good year for the Ustradinsky Collective Farm. The crop has been larger than expected. The wheat fills the fields like an amber sea, and those who toil in the fields are filled with a feeling of satisfaction, the knowledge of a job well done. And fear. Peter, look, your sister. What is? No. Peter Rasputin looks up from his work, and his eyes grow wide with horror. He discerns it all in an instant, the runaway tractor, the child playing blindly in its path. Little Ilyana is sitting in the meadow in the wheat field, and a tractor with no driver is barreling towards her. And without hesitation, Peter Rasputin is running, legs pumping, heart pounding, the very air around him crackling with the energy of his exertion, energy released in a most astonishing manner as he turns to steel. The armored machine bears relentlessly down upon the unwitting child as an armored colossus snatches her from its path. There is no time for Peter Rasputin to move out of harm's way. Thus he stands his ground as the rampant tractor plunges toward him, and he wonders how his poor neighbors will ever afford to buy another. Quasoom! It explodes. That, though, is a worry for another day. This day will be filled with problems enough. Peter Rasputin, I wish to talk to you. That voice in my head, who? By now, we know the answer to that question. So moments later, you want me to go with you to America? But if I possess such power as you say, does it not belong to the state? 
Power such as yours belongs to the world, Peter, to be used for the good of all. And believe me, your powers are needed. Then come, we will talk of this with my parents. And so, this professor wants to take me with him, to teach me how to deal with my, my mutant powers. There is wisdom in his words, Papa, but I am happy here. Tell me, Papa, what should I do? Do as your heart tells you, my son. It will not betray you. My heart tells me to stay, Papa, but my conscience tells me otherwise. I must go, Papa. Then it is right that you do. Los Vidanya, Peter, our love goes with you. Do not worry, Mama. I will write you. Goodbye, Papa. I will make you proud. We are already proud, my son. Camp Verde, Arizona. John Proudstar does not like the reservation. He does not like to watch the old ones sitting slumped against their doorsteps, dreaming dreams of glory long gone. John Proudstar is an Apache, and he is ashamed of his people. I want to apologize because some of this narration has not aged great. The Apache were meant to be hunters, warriors, not sad-eyed, simpering squaws. They were meant to run free through the crisp plains grasses, the wind blowing wildly through their hair. He is running after a bison and tackles the bison to the ground. Once nothing could stand before the Apache, the bison that covered these plains fell like rain before Apache skill, Apache bravery. But never did any bison fall like this. There, horned one, do you see? There is still a man among the Apache. And such a man I have come looking for, John Proudstar. Huh? Now how in blazes did a cripple get way out here? Not that it matters much. You got five seconds to vamoose, white eyes. I don't want company, especially yours. Don't be too hasty, my young friend. I've come to help you fulfill your dream, to give pride back to your people. You are special, John Proudstar. You are a mutant, and you are needed. And you can stuff a cactus, Custer. The white man needs me? That's tough. I owe him nothing but the grief he's given my people. Now beat it. I offer you a chance to help the world, and you turn your back on me? Then perhaps what they say is true. Perhaps the Apache are all frightened, selfish children. Okay, that does it. Ain't nobody that calls me a coward, mister. I'm as good as the next guy. Hell, I'm better. You give me a chance, I'll prove it. And you will have your chance, John, I promise you that. And then Xavier thinks. But will you, will any of my new X-Men be equal to the task that lies before you? Or will you carry the world down into ruin? X-Men, X-Men. Hey everybody, we're doing things a little differently today because I'm excited as Connor Goldsmith, your host, to tell you about the podcast's extraordinary new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game, every comic fan's dream. In this mobile squad RPG, you can assemble a team of your favorite superheroes and supervillains, like Dr. Lorna Dane and the iconic Madeline Jennifer Pryor, to save the universe from cosmic threats like Apocalypse and Doctor Doom. Power up your favorite Marvel characters to complete missions, unlock special gear and other resources, and battle other Marvel fans in PvP modes like Alliance War in the real-time arena. Right now, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating their six-year anniversary with a special Deadpool event, and you can sign up using my unique link available right now in the description of every episode. You'll get free stuff in the game just for signing up through this promotion, with weekly bonuses and events all through this anniversary storyline. Log in every day to get special skins, rewards, and the brand new characters being released to celebrate six years of Marvel Strike Force. This is the game's most generous event to date, and I for one can't wait to see all the goodies I can unlock. This promo code works for every new user. Please follow the unique link in this episode description to download Marvel Strike Force so they'll know I sent you. Use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Have a blast with this immersive Marvel experience. Thanks to Marvel Entertainment and the team at Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. We now return you to the show. X-Men, X-Men. Chapter 2, And When There Was One. 
Westchester, New York. The school had seemed a latter-day Tower of Babel at first, but a telepathic crash course in the English language had closed the communication gap in mere minutes. Now Professor Charles Xavier sits, somberly studying his colorfully costumed house guests, and whatever thoughts he might have at this point are his alone to know. In all my life, Pyotr says, such clothing as this I have never seen. The costume is beautiful, says Storm, and the fit, perfect. But how did you? The uniforms are constructed from unstable molecules which adjust themselves where necessary. I obtained them from a man named Reed Richards, and I'm certain you'll learn more of him and his friends later. But right now, right now, Sunfire says, you will tell us why you dragged us here, Professor. I, for one, am swiftly losing my patience. Sunfire, please, it was not my intention to waste your time. I've merely awaited the arrival of one who can explain the situation far better than I. My friends, allow me to present Scott Summers, the man called Cyclops. And Cyclops opens the double doors. He will fill you in on the details. The details, people, are depressingly simple. You've been called here because the X-Men have disappeared. You seven are our only hope of... I'm getting ahead of myself. Come on, I may as well show you where it all began. This is Cerebro, our specially designed mutant detector. It's through this mechanism that we discovered all of you and lost my closest friends. We cut to a flashback. We'd all answered the signal alarm within seconds. The Professor, Angel, Iceman, Marvel Girl, Lorna Dane, my brother Havoc, and myself. What is it, sir? Cerebro's never reacted so violently before. What it is, Scott, is incredible. Apparently, Cerebro's detected a new mutant on the island of Krakoa in the South Pacific. A mutant so powerful as to defy classification. It seems you all have work to do, Scott. Find that mutant quickly before someone else finds him first. You heard the Professor, X-Men. It's traveling time. That catchphrase does not catch on. Shortly after, our specially designed stratojet arced high over the patchwork countryside, streaking towards an unknown confrontation. But at that moment, our minds were on other things. Wish we could have contacted the Beast, says Marvel Girl. Hank McCoy's dexterous digits might be, uh, handy on a job like this. Hank graduated the X-Men gene. If he hasn't got time for us now, that's his business. Right now we've got business of our own to worry about. That's Krakoa, dead ahead. Yeesh, you'd need a superpower just to survive on that desolate mud bar. Enough banter. Strap in for landing. We touch down moments later. Our VTOL jets, asterisk, vertical takeoff and landing. Encyclopedic Lem. Lowering us to Earth as gently as an infant is lowered into its cradle. But we were not infants, and this was definitely no child's game. I think we took the wrong bus, gang, says Iceman. This place sure doesn't look like Cleveland. All the insects in the air, the overgrown jungle. On second thought, maybe this is Cleveland. I told you before, Iceman, shelved the snappy patter. We have a difficult job ahead of us, finding that new mutant. Maybe an impossible one, Syke, says Warren, when you consider that we have no idea what we're looking for. Point taken, Angel. Let's fan out and see if... Behind us, Lorna says. Look, it's... Quick, Havoc screams. Everybody scatter. Get moving before we... I'm ashamed to say I never even saw what hit us. We cut to Scott, his clothing in tatters, his eyes glowing but his visor off. My head was a throbbing mass of pain and screaming images when I struggled to wake Lord knows how long afterward. I didn't realize where I was, nor did I really care. All that concerned me was, my friends, what happened to the other X-Men? And worse, what had happened to me? My eyes, dear heaven, my eyes, they're uncovered, they're, they're normal, powerless. However hard I try, I can't project my optic blast. Did you hear me, world? I can't, huh? That's when I discovered I was back on the stratojet and I wasn't in control. Automatic pilot is jammed. Can't turn this crate back to the island. I spent the next five minutes pounding futilely on the control panel, then resigned myself to the situation and sat back in my seat. I wasn't happy by the time I reached Westchester. Not happy at all. Slam! Professor, I'm back! Cyclops, what? 
Where are the others? The professor was no happier than I after I told him. Do you mean to tell me the other X-Men are still on that island and you have no idea what's happened to them? I know nothing, Professor, except that something on Krakoa cured my eyes and deposited me back in that... Huh? What is it, Professor? Why are you looking at me like that? And his eyes are now crackling with energy. Your eyes, Scott, they're glowing again. Quickly, Scott, grab some protective lenses. Your optic powers have returned. No, not again. Don't let it happen again. But I should have known better than to even ask. His eyes blast and he goes flying into the wall. The optic energies that had cursed me since my early teens were back again with a vengeance. And this time they were so strong, even I could not control them. The professor modified one of my old visors to contain my increased power. And then he left me here to retrain myself while he went in search of you. And he found us. So now what? So now we go back to Krakoa to find the original X-Men and the mutant that defeated us. Incorrect, Cyclops. Now you go back to Krakoa, not I. I will have no part in this fool's errand. What? I don't understand, Sunfire. We offer you a chance to help your fellow mutants, and I do not even like my fellow mutants, Cyclops. I certainly will not risk my life to help them. I feel sorry for you, Sunfire, but I don't have time to waste arguing. The rest of us have a job to do, and we're going to do it. Moments later, the Stratojet streaks skyward, and there is only one empty seat on board. It seems I have had my first taste of mutant camaraderie, Storm says. And I must say, Cyclops, I did not like it. Maybe you didn't notice, sister, says Thunderbird, but this group ain't exactly a mutual admiration society. We're all involved in this fiasco for our own reasons, girly, and patting each other on the back ain't one of, huh? Hey, One-Eye, there's something following us. I see it, Geronimo. It's... Jeez, I forgot how bad this can get, actually. Well, I'll be jiggered, One-Eye. The racial slur. Are you going to open the hatch, Cyclops, or do you expect me to fly all the way to Krakoa by myself? So, the prodigal mutant returns. Why did you change your mind, Sunfire? Afraid to go home alone? My reasons are nobody's business but my own, misfit. You do well to remember that. Chapter 3, Assault Force. This really is a giant size issue. It's like 40-something pages. So that's where you mislaid your partners, huh? Thunderbird says. Can't say much for your taste in vacation spots, Summers. And I can't say much for your sense of humor, Wolverine. Nor yours, Thunderbird. The name is Proudstar, One-Eye. Not anymore. The professor's given you all code names, group. You might as well start getting used to them. Now the assault team will be as follows. Storm, you and Colossus will come in from the north. Banshee and the Wolverine will move across from the east. Tis a pleasure to be working with you, laddie. Whoopee. Sunfire and Nightcrawler will start searching from the south. No, not him. I did not hear Cyclops giving you a choice, man. Thunderbird and I will handle the west end of the island. Now get ready, South Team. Your drop is coming up. I don't much like the tone of your voice, Cyclops. We can argue about it when you get back. Now go. East Team, go. Christ, you have to screech like that. North Team, that is our signal storm. And Colossus jumps out of the fucking airplane. Colossus, no. You fool, you cannot fly. And she flies down to grab him. Of course not, but I can land with the best of them. The chicken and the rooski have landed. It looks like they're arguing, which is about par for this outfit. We're going down next, Thunderbird. Strap in. Once more, the strategist's VTOL system lowers it to the earth, and though he tries, the man called Cyclops cannot suppress a shudder. How many more will we lose this time, he wonders morbidly. Will I even live long enough to find out? But he's a professional, this star-crossed mutant. The questions follow him as he steps out upon the landscape, but he leaves his fear in the ship. East is that way, Thunderbird, and the sooner we get started, the sooner we'll get there. Yes, sir, General One-Eye, sir. I just hope you're not leading me into another little bighorn. It'd be just my luck to be the first Indian to get massacred by a- Hold it! I left the mini Cerebro unit back in- Huh? I don't believe it! Don't believe what? The Stratojet! 
it's gone. But that's impossible. The ground doesn't just open up and swallow a jet plane whole. Absolutely right. And strange temples don't suddenly spring up out of nowhere. But one has. And there is, in fact, a temple that has sprung up out of nowhere. Huh? That joint wasn't there when we landed. Exactly. And since it seems as good a spot as any to start searching, let's go. Grumbling in annoyance, the mutant now reluctantly called Thunderbird follows his cyclopean companion to the verdant underbrush. John Proudstar has never much liked the jungle. And apparently, the feeling is mutual. The vines, they're alive! The vine wraps around his neck. A condition we won't share much longer, unless we do something fast. Got any suggestions in particular, One-Eye? Zzzash! That's an optic blast. Not really, Thunderbird. For a beginner, you're doing pretty well on your own. Scrack! That's Thunderbird. Tearing the vines up. Within moments, the two young X-Men have left the strangling creeper vines far behind them, and it is not terribly difficult to determine which way they have gone. Fourteen minutes later, Well, we've made it in reasonable shape. I wonder how the others are faring. Well, minutes earlier, on the island's north side. Odd, I do not recall seeing that temple before. Come, Colossus, let us begin our search there. Whatever you say, Aurora, you are so unlike the girls in my... Huh? That sound. Rumble. An avalanche! Quickly, Colossus! Perhaps we can still outrun it! Some Russian stuff! This landslide cannot be outrun, Aurora. It has changed its direction to follow us. Then if we cannot avoid a confrontation, we must stand our ground and defend ourselves. Those mad rocks can no longer hurt me, Aurora, but for threatening you, I shall crush them! And Peter rips a tree out of the ground and swings toward the rocks. Quump! I thank you, Peter, but there is no need to protect me! And the winds whip up and carry all the stones away. I am no longer threatened. Storm's so cool, like right from the jump. And shortly, Storm, Colossus, glad you made it in one piece. Barely, Cyclops, just barely. I only hope the others arrive safely as well. And on the island's east side. Saints, Lottie, will you look at the size of them beasties? Looks like the local welcoming committee, Irish. But a handshake from one of them could be fatal. They're fighting giant lobsters. Good thing then they're not the only ones around here with big, sharp claws, isn't it? The wolverine has claws of its own. And Irish, he likes to use them. Scrack! Hey, you just gonna stand around gawking, Irish, or are you gonna help me? But the errand-born mutant is already aloft, and though his sonic scream is not nearly so flamboyant as his companion's slashing talons, it is nonetheless equally effective. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
and I'd hate to disappoint them now. Hmm, he and Colossus are now listening against the wall. It appears we're going to have to earn the dubious privilege of getting in there. Door is sealed tight, and it's about a foot thick. Sunfire, storm, Colossus, looks like the time has come for your first practical lesson in the art of being an X-Man. The lesson is entitled Breaking and Entering, and although the neophyte X-Men lack the finesse of their predecessors, Quaroom! They certainly get an A for effort. Still slightly astonished by their own abilities, the young mutants step cautiously into the Stygian darkness. Oh my god! And find their hearts swelling heavy in their throats. Angel, Lorna, Havoc, Iceman, and Marble Girl are hanging, suspended from vines that are sucking onto their bodies in a very creepy way. Oh my dear god, it's the other X-Men, and something seems to be feeding on them. Well, don't just stand there staring at them. In pity's name, set them free. Grimes, what's going on? As soon as we pulled these tubes loose, the place started shaking itself apart. Quickly then, carry whoever's closest to you. Scott is carrying Jean. And let's get out of here before this temple comes down around our ears. And even as the arcane temple topples into ruin behind them. Hey, they're coming around. Must not have been as bad as... Why, Cyclops, says Angel. Why did you come back for us? Huh? You fool, don't you understand? It wanted you to come back and bring others with you. It was all a trap. And now it's too late! The ground, rearing up around the fallen temple. Of course, haven't you realized yet? We came to this island to look for a mutant. But the mutant is the island itself. And Krakoa begins to rise from the earth. This origin story that's about to be provided for Krakoa is absolutely no longer canon, and we just have to not worry about it. But here's what it says. Images flood mutant minds as they stand rooted to the spot, the sunburst brilliance of an early atomic test, whose unseen radiation permeated every living organism here, until they grew linked in a colony intelligence that gave the island a life of its own. Chapter 4. Krakoa, the island that walks like a man. But Krakoa grew hungry then, a hunger barely appeased when the X-Men arrived upon the scene. Krakoa fed upon their mutant energies and grew hungrier still. Thus it released one X-Man and sent him forth to find more food, which Cyclops did. And now we will go hungry no longer, says the island, because in this story, Krakoa speaks English. Filthy monster, you used me, like a lousy Judas goat leading lambs to the slaughter. Yes, we used you, Ice One, as we used the legless one who gathered you all together at the command of a voice only his but the time for inflation has passed. Now, now it is time, time for Krakoa to feed. He shoots lasers out of his giant eyes. Scatter, X-Men, quickly! Ah! You lily livers want to scatter that swell, but the wolverine is going out for blood. Assuming, of course, this vegetarian monstrosity has any, which is doubtful. Your solar blasts have no effect on that thing, Sunfire. Nor do my bolts of lightning. But we must fight on, whatever the risk. Mere words could never begin to describe the sheer unbridled savagery of the battle that follows. So we won't even attempt it here. But there's a nice big splash panel of everybody fighting. Suffice it to say that the conflict goes wildly on until... Scott, stop! You're going about this all wrong! Huh? Professor? I've been mentally monitoring your battle thus far, studying this living island, and I believe I've discovered its sole weak point. Now this is my plan. In an instant, Professor Charles Xavier's mental commands are projected halfway around a world. Then he closes his eyes, steals himself for the coming ordeal, concentrates, and the battle is joined. <laughs> says Krakoa. And we see Krakoa and Charles, like, telepathically battling. It is a war fought on two fronts, as Professor X wages deadly mental combat with a crazed community intellect, while his students race to carry out his plan. And now, the first big mutant circuit. 
The scene is so fucking cool. This scene, notably, was suggested by an assistant in the office named Chris Claremont. And of course it was because it's the two powerful women who saved the day. At Cyclops' command, the eyes of the mutant called Storm grow dark once more, and she soars aloft on the wings of the wind. High above Krakoa, she hovers, slowly summoning to her the Tempest's full electronic fury, then suddenly transmitting those seething energies to the live young woman who waits anxiously below, thus restoring the mighty magnetic powers of the girl called Lorna Dane. Within moments, the circuit is completed, and Lorna Dane screams in anguish as her physical limits are reached and exceeded. Don't stop! Lord, whatever you do, don't stop! You've got to call it off, Scott, Alex shouts. Lorna can't take that kind of punishment. She'll be killed. Alex, I can't. I can't sacrifice a world to save one woman, Alex. Even if she is the woman you love. I swear to you, brother or no brother, if she dies, the remainder of Havoc's angry outburst is slain by the crackling roar of the thunderous downpour, even as the torrential waters lend life to something else. Begora, the blinking beast, he's getting stronger now. But how? Cyclops, the island's mind has suddenly grown more forceful. I, I can't maintain my assault any longer. Forgive me, Scott, but I fear you're on your own. Fools, you brought rain from the sky to destroy us, but it serves to replenish us and give us strength to destroy you. But as before, the X-Men argue that point quite strongly. We can't hold that thing off forever, Scott, if the professor's plan doesn't work. We'll know if it works soon enough, Gene. Get everybody back. We're ready to begin. With that, a solemn Scott Summers turns to find that the figure of Lorna Dane has become lost within a coruscating incandescent tower of sheer magnetic force. His mutant eyes narrow, and a single word forms upon his lips. Now! And he and Havoc both blast Lorna with their full strength, which is crazy, actually. With almost indescribable force, Lorna's magnetic energies erupt downward through five miles of ocean, through 4,000 miles of the Earth's ancient crust, down to the very molten center of the planet itself where its effects are immediate and violent. What is happening to us? Why do we feel so strange? A mind hurts so. Can't contain our human form. It's working, exactly as the professor said it would. We've only got seconds to clear out of here before the end. Lorna's too weak to run for it all. Huh? Lady doesn't need your help, hotshot. She's in good hands for a change. That's Iceman who has lifted Lorna in his arms. Why, you little... Argue later. Now just move it. And move it they do, as few other beings on Earth possibly could. Holy crow, says Thunderbird. Will you take a look at the beach up ahead? The whole friggin' island's breaking up around us. And Warren says, and without our strato jet, there's no way we can get far enough from the island before... Huh? Never let it be said we Icemen aren't good for something, Angel. Everybody get aboard, and fast! And Bobby makes an ice raft. Swiftly, the desperate X-Men clamber aboard the crude ice raft, then hang on for dear life as the mutant powers of Cyclops and Havoc propel the makeshift vessel away from Krakoa with the speed of a hurtling hydroplane. Behind them, the world convulses in carnage as the results of Lorna Dane's energy bolt become apparent at last, for her electrically charged burst is cut across the planet's primary lines of magnetic force, severing them, and for an instant about the island Krakoa, gravity ceases to exist. The island shoots into the sky. <laughs> in a gout of seawater. Then the earth forces come violently together, and the effect is the same as squeezing wet soap through a fist, written through THRU. Krakoa's death cries ring for long seconds in the minds of the awestruck X-Men as Krakoa is shot off into space. Then, a new, more frightening reality intrudes upon the scene. Brace yourselves, everyone. There's trouble ahead. The ocean's rushing to fill in the space Krakoa just vacated, and we're caught in the whirlpool. 
Quickly, Bobby, throw an airtight ice dome over this raft. It's our only chance to survive this miserable maelstrom. Voraciously, the great ice bubble is sucked into the wildly swirling maw, and those within are battered almost senseless against its cold, unfeeling walls. They voice their pain enthusiastically, and then they are gone. The seething waters swirl closed above their heads, and for a time, the sea is calm. The minutes pass interminably. Then the huge, gleaming bubble bursts the water's surface, and is itself burst in turn by a beam of scarlet fury. It's an optic blast. Boom, zap. Fresh air, a warm sun. Did you ever see anything more beautiful? Yeah, that. Almost forgot the old stratojet is watertight. Paddle on over while I go open the hatch. Shortly, as the stratojet streaks skyward. Sorry we don't have seats for all of you, Angel says. But this plane wasn't designed to carry so many mutants. Which brings us to our next little problem. What are we going to do with 13 X-Men? We'll find out next issue when the Doomsmith strikes. So that was Giant Size X-Men number one. This was the big relaunch after the book had been canceled in 1970. And this is what captured the popular imagination in the way that the 60s series never really had. It kicks off the incredible run to come. Len Wein plotted a giant size X-Men number two, which then becomes issues 94 and 95 instead, because they decided to turn it back into an ongoing. Those issues are scripted by Chris Claremont, but the next two issues are still Len Wein's plot. I hope you all enjoyed this. I had fun doing it. I'm really excited to embark on this marathon with all of you. Let me know what you think in the comments here on Patreon. And until next time, everybody, bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men.